GM, I'm Dan Roberts. I'm Matthew Diemer. I'm Kate Irwin. And this is GM from the Crypt. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Okay, GM, GM for the Weekend Review. Kate, Matthew Diemer, what's up? GM, y'all. GM. All right. What a week it was. In some ways, it's been interesting this start of the year because the coins are up, which is nice. Uh, people are pleased about that. Market in the green most days. Bitcoin up, ETH up. Of course, way down from the all-time highs. I know, I know. But price is up. And yet, still a lot of bad news on the corporate front, the bankruptcies, the insolvencies. Uh, we had more layoff news this week. Matrixport, Blockchain.com, Coinbase all doing more layoffs. And that's just in crypto, uh, you know, in the larger tech industry layoffs all across the board. I mean, when Amazon did it toward the end of last year, that was a surprise. Amazon never does layoffs. Then we saw Google 12,000 people. I mean, guys, if you have to lay off 12,000 people, you did something very wrong. Uh, Matt, what's your take here on what's going on in this bloodbath in tech? Well, I, I don't know if it's just about the layoffs because remember, it's six, 12,000 people is 6% of their workforce. And we saw this in, in crypto. We see this all over tech. We saw when you know everything was mooning. Uh, companies were hiring, hiring like crazy. And what Google had said is that they are over hiring. I think the noticeable thing or the notable thing was the whole thing with uh, – you guys saw these TikTok videos with Nicole Tsai? Uh, she, had, she was like this uh, Google employee that TikToked and, and showed off where she was working. She – had a video a while back and it was about her working in Google and it was like it was showing her, her going to work grabbing a coffee them having food for them everything was free grabbing a, a bottle of water or sparkling water you know a LaCroix or whatever going to a massage chair going to these great conference rooms and everybody kind of like hated on her because it was like oh do you even work oh what are you even doing like oh you guys are so treated so well it's like it's like is this a you know real job and so she got shit for that then she got laid off and every these 12,000 Google employees got laid off and she did the same thing and said hey I'm going to do a TikTok of my process of this. And so she woke up, she uh, TikToked and recorded her calling her boss. Her boss didn't know that she was laid off. She went to her um, computer to log into her email. Her computer access was cut off. So she couldn't log into her email to see what was going on. Then her then her friends and a lot of her Google employees or, or fellow coworkers went to Google and tried to go into Google, scan their key fob. And that's how they found out they were laid off. And so I think the real thing is, is like how workers are being treated, how like those irresponsibility of, of, of hiring practices, and then what the bigger narrative is about the, what people think about this whole process of what, how, how a worker should be treated. First of all, you say you can't be treated like this with, with you know, LaCroix, LaCroix uh, sparkling drinks. And then also you can't, you, you say, oh, they're treated improperly. And I think that's a really interesting thing that's happening right now with this whole layoff situation. Yeah, I think we're starting to see um, <laughs> this happen across the tech industry. I mean, 
in crypto, it seems like crypto has faced worse layoffs in terms of just percentages of the companies um, seeing seeing staffers leave. In the case of Google, I mean, it's it's shocking. I, I wonder to what extent it's an internal comms issue versus to what extent it's just like their standard corporate policy or what's really going on here. I mean, my sources at Google are very sad about the fact that so many people have been laid off and they think it's a very somber moment for the company. And it's, it's, it's very, uh, a dark time for, for a lot of people there. Of course, what happens right after you do layoffs is the stock goes up, you know, stock market loves a, a, a big round of cuts. Um, when it comes to Google and I don't want to waste too much of our time on this, but you know, I did tweet one week ago um, based on sources I had at Google that that exactly the situation Matthew described was happening. There were people who arrived at work Friday morning, so one week ago today, and discovered they were laid off because they were told to scan their cards, something that at Google in New York, which is the offices in Chelsea Market, they don't normally have to do, by the way. I mean, this is a key nuance here, but normally someone just opens the door because you hold up your badge and they let a bunch of people through. But what happened uh, a week ago was... They were told to line up and scan their badge and people whose badge turned red, it meant you had been laid off. And it's unbelievable. I mean, my tweet, which was the first to bring attention to this, it's been seen 12 million times, which is kind of nuts. And for a week, my mentions on Twitter have been ruined by people just insisting fake news. You're a liar. You made this up. You know, Google would never do that. And, you know, I'm a little vindicated that, of course, many, many stories have come out of people saying, yep, this is exactly what happened. This is how I found out. And the reason has become... Uh, the reason is because the process was clearly so hastily rushed. It was like suddenly, you know, did they decide on Thursday night, oh, we have to lay off 12,000 people? The email that was company-wide from Sundar Pichai went out at um, 2 a.m. Pacific, 5 a.m. Eastern on a Thursday night. And that was the email just saying layoffs are coming. Then they started sending people the personal emails saying you are laid off. There are people who didn't get that email until noon Eastern on Friday. So I don't know what goes wrong that suddenly you have to cut 12,000 people and you have to do it urgently and hastily like this. But my goodness, right? I mean, it's just a reminder, like these companies, they're just way too big and bloated. I mean, if you can cut 12,000 people and then just move on and the stock goes up, yikes, you're too big. A a similar issue is happening, um, like you said, Matt, about the TikToks and the the sort of day in the life at, at Google TikToks. There's a similar. There's a lot of similar ones coming out a day in the life at Meta and similar things yes. happening there where they were sort of focusing on the food that they were eating as opposed to sort of maybe describing the amount of time that they were working and and so it was leading to this kind of skewed perspective where they were getting a lot of criticism for you know it seeming like maybe they were spending most of their day just sort of eating and chatting with coworkers. But I I wanted to bring up Gemini and what's going on there right now. I don't know, you know, how much of it, how accurate, you know, what's happening there could be applied to what's happening in the rest of the tech industry at all. I think it might be a unique, a bit of a unique situation here, given what's been happening with Gemini. But from what I understand um, from my sources there, there's very little internal communication and employees, a lot of them don't really know what's going on. Um, Initially, they had just gotten like an apology from um, the internal team there. And it's been announced that they're just not getting bonuses, promotions, or performance reviews until like the end of 2023 at the earliest. And that everyone there, not only are they laying people off, but the people that are there are trying to leave actively and actively trying to quit and leave the company. Um, So, you know, as we think about all these tech layoffs, um, 
I feel like there is a, a bit of an, a, a sort of silver lining here, which is that um, not uh, everyone who's laid off is laid off for very long. Um, according to this one zip recruiter study, 80% of recently laid off tech employees were able to find new jobs again within three months. But I wonder if that's true in crypto. Yeah, I I wonder that. I mean, Coinbase still has their sort of, I suppose, almost infamous like staff database of people that we couldn't hire, but recommend that's still live if anyone was wondering. Right. Thanks. I I, I do want to ask two two questions. Um, I want to make a statement and a question because first, um, I do want to commend, say, Kraken and Coinbase because they've been pretty transparent about the amount of severance and benefits they're going to extend. And look, layoffs do happen. And, and, and we've all been through massive layoffs in either one startup or one company. I think we should. And I have. And, I, and it's brutal. It's absolutely brutal to wake up one morning and see half of the team or 60 percent of the team gone in my case, um, which you know was around 60, 70 people. But you know, it is also nice to know that they're extending three months, six months with benefits and healthcare. And that's very nice that they're very being very transparent about that. But my question to you guys is just to try to try to steel man this a little bit. And I know that we don't want to dwell on this, but how do you, if you have a company of tens of thousand employees, ax twenty or twelve thousand employees overnight without an email, without some kind of and, and still want to protect your IP and still want to protect right. what the person was working on. And now I don't know if I have a good question because you can't bring everybody in one by one into the office and right. give them a good explanation, you know, give them some tissues to cry on and then say the next one. It's just too big of a process. What's the re- what's the way to do it? Well, ideally, real real quick, I'll, I'll go. Ideally, not overnight. Um, and you're right about the numbers. You're, it's just too many to have everyone get an in-person, come into my office like you see in movies when there's layoffs, right? And you sit down, give me tissue. You're right. Too many people. But every single person has a manager. And you know, I don't think any one person is managing 2,000 people. So you, know, you tell each person, here are your managees that we're cutting. And we want you to tell them. And you tell them via a text message to their cell phone or a call to their cell phone or an email to their personal email. Although it turns out there have been some Google people who said my personal email wasn't even on record at Google, so they wouldn't have been able to email there. But it can't be an email to their corporate account, the same account that's about to get cut off, right? I mean, I I would vote a text message, (laughs) but not a middle-of-the-night email to your work email that you don't see before you get on the subway to go into work. Yeah, I mean, that said, like having some kind of official internal comms communication is good. Obviously, overnight feels really rushed and sort of impersonal. But I think if, if these companies, like if it's, if it's just a corporate decision and it's not like a personal thing, if there's some way that they can sort of say like, it's not you, it's us, like, you know, to, to really help employees understand like why they're being laid off in different circumstances. I'll give one more note, crypto specific. And I think I've said this before last year when the, when the layoffs got bad and now they're happening again, or maybe it's that they never stopped, but Many of these companies, not just the crypto ones, but the crypto ones especially, in their sad announcement or employee letter that gets shared publicly, whatever it is, at some point, the executive says, you know, frankly, we overhired. You know, Dapper Labs, the guy said that. We overhired. Another one, we overhired. And it's as if being candid and acknowledging that is some kind of excuse. It's like, well, if if you're admitting that you overhired so many people that now you need to cut them, well, then you fucked up. Sorry. I mean, that's bad management. Like, you know, in a a bull market, I I get it. Like 2020 and 2021 were heady days for crypto. And companies were like, oh, we're off to the races. We just raised a bunch of money. Let's spend that money. And it's like, 
sometimes something is exactly as it appears. I think these companies went, all right, we just raised, you know, 200 million. This is great. Let's get some more engineers. And it's like, you can picture the conversations that happened. Someone in the room went, well, how many engineers should we hire? And someone went, I don't know, 85. And then they just hired 85 new engineers. And then things got bad and they went, whoops. And it's like, well, the smarter companies act as though they understand and are preparing for when things will be bad again. They're not always going to be good. This is how markets go. They come in waves. You should run your business in a frugal, cost-conscious way, assuming that it won't always be up only. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, just sucks. Um, well, let's let's move on to a different section where things are a little sunnier. And that is, and I have to say, and I'm not saying like, ooh, how prescient of me. I mean, many said this, but Matthew, we recorded a predictions uh, episode at the beginning of the year. And one of my predictions was, I think NFTs will come back. Now, maybe not the full, you know, peak speculative bubble boom of, I guess, early 2021, where people were like paying dumb money for dumb JPEGs that did nothing. But NFTs, we all agree are we're never completely dead. And I said, I think they're going to come roaring back this year. And it seems to me, Kate, and you've written about some of these examples, but um, it seems to me that we're seeing some green shoots and we're seeing a little bit of NFT PFP mania again here at the start of the year, right? Yeah, it seems like people haven't stopped minting things and they the community certainly hasn't gone away. I mean, we're, we're still looking at a lot of volume traded um, on OpenSea it's certainly far from what it was last year, but it isn't continuing to go down. I mean, it's it's not continuing to decline. According to this like Dune dashboard, it's uh, January is already higher than last month. So, you know, there is a chance here that November of 2022 was the sort of bottom uh, or the local bottom for the NFT trading. I think, I think, I think, Dan, you you might be onto something. I'm still a little bearish that this is only because it's been predicted over through this whole market that we are going to see in 2023 some rises up in the markets, the in Bitcoin markets, the crypto markets, NFT markets, and then we're going to even see lower lows. This is what the experts are, are predicting. I'm still going to take that cautionary um, uh, advice. However, I thought that the most interesting NFT story I saw the past week was the one with Porsche. Look. They were going to mint Porsche. I was, you know, the auto, automaker wanted to mint 7,500 NFTs with Porsche 911s on them. They were going to sell them for 0.911 F a piece. And people were saying that this is stupid. It's tone deaf. We're in the bear market. I can't believe this company is coming in here and taking advantage of the crypto space and Web3 and so on and so forth. And it's a failure. Yet at the same time, they minted like 1,800 of these things already, or as people bought 1,800 of these things for 911 F, 0.911 F, and made around, uh, what was it, 23 Porsche 911. 9.7 million worth. Oh, oh yeah. Not, 23, it, the equivalent of 23 Porsche 911. So, so, so basically Porsche makes this NFT and sells 23 of their cars worth of, of and gets that cash like overnight. And everybody's just like, oh, this is a failure. and It's a bad idea. I don't know what the NFT space is thinking. Maybe Kate can tell me because I'm not part of it. But I think that's a win. I think I think the fact that they had to cut their supply was sort of the initial like, wow, guys, you couldn't figure out the demand here. And so now they sort of had to create artificial scarcity at like a whole other level by cutting the supply um, way, way down. I mean, 
yes, they are currently at a floor price of almost two ETH a piece. And yes, they do have 64% unique owners, which means that there aren't a lot of whales. So it's not just Porsche buying all the NFTs and hoarding them in a wallet. You know, it is like multiple different traders here and a lot yeah, of Porsche employees engaging. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, we'll see what they do with it. I, I question a lot of these big brand plays coming out in 2023 because I do kind of feel like it's a little late. Um, I feel like the big wave for a lot of big brands to jump on yeah. this was kind of last year when some of the big fashion brands like Gucci were doing their all their metaverse plays and stuff like that. I do feel like it's a bit late to the game, but I wonder, you know, what kind of utility they might actually provide to their holders. And yeah, I mean, from a from an income standpoint, yeah, Porsche made money. That's great. But, you know, I right. think I always look at things from like a holder's perspective and from like a, is this good for the broader NFT market? Mm. You know, is this good for like the perception of nfts and i think about the nft market broadly and i think it's it's often understated um or underestimated the impact that yuga labs alone has on the nft space they absolutely dominated the metaverse like volume trades last year and every single mint that they do really bumps up those numbers for total volume traded. So it, it is sort of still this like slightly delicate space, in my opinion, where, you know, just one powerhouse is is sort of dominating the the economy. I don't know who wrote the article um, from Decrypt, but isn't it 50% of all volume traded so far this year was a Yuga Lab related NFT? Yeah, that sounds about right. That's what it was last year, or even higher maybe, Kate, because between punks, which they now own, apes, Mutant apes, ape kennel, dog kennel, mutant kennel club, whatever it's called. Oof. Yeah, I mean, th- that other deed meant really set the numbers high last year and sort of set us up for uh, some some lofty expectations that could not be repeatedly fulfilled over and over. So that's why it might seem like, oh my gosh, the NFT market totally crashed. It's like, well, when was that? It's. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today peak it was only because of one company's like one mint like half over probably over like half of that month's volume if not the majority of that month's volume from that other side mint was because of just that one mint so i think when we see a lot of numbers and articles saying oh nft volume down massive percent it's like well let's let's figure out what exactly happened that caused the numbers to be so high in the previous month i don't know if we can extrapolate conclusions from like volume go up, volume go down in, in such dramatic ways. Um, I, I like what you said about the Porsche example, Matt, because it is like a reminder. There are, I almost wish, I mean, it would be pretty time consuming because there were so many, but I almost wish we could go back and do a story on let's revisit every big brand NFT drop from 2021 that they totally never did a thing with and how much money did they make? And people who accused it of a cash grab, yep. It was a cash grab. And from their perspective, it worked. I mean, I just thought of the Pepsi example. And this is a a column I'm still proud of from December 2021. 
I said, are brands going to ruin the metaverse? And the, the thing that prompted this at the time was Budweiser tweeted at Pepsi, uh, welcome brand friend, wag me. And Pepsi replied, thanks friend, wag me, friend, F-R-E-N. And it's like, oh God. And Meta responded to Pepsi at the time, this is going to look great in the metaverse. And it's just so cringe. And just yesterday, McDonald's tweeted to Binance and said, wag me. And everyone went, oh my God, oh my God, this is so horrible. But you know, on the other hand, the, these companies legitimately see like, oh, I, I mean, you can joke, but they're, they're trying to signal that they know crypto is a thing. And I, they do know crypto is a thing. And I don't think that people know what the thing is until it's the thing. If I was, if I'm, my memory mm-hmm. serves me correctly, um, crypto punks were, were sitting around not being bought, sold or traded for a long time before they became a thing. Um, I hold, I, I was, I aped into NFTs and I told you on the, um, the predictions podcast is I have a, I have a phantom wallet full of Solana NFTs that don't even exist anymore from like perky pandas and crypto wieners and all kinds of rugs. Um, but you never knew which one was going to be the next one. And I think that by putting like trying to throw um, Porsche under the bus and saying, Oh, these guys are late to the game or this is just not going to, not going to make it and so on and so forth. I don't think that we know. And if they already made the money off their NFTs, then I think it's just up to the community to push Porsche to to make the like I said like Kate said the utility for it and make sure that these things grow into something. I, I think that a lot of these projects fail when the creators either rug stop working on it and the community just thinks that that it's that it's done. And if you keep pushing it, kind of like my crypto zoo eggs might get a a resurgence because of uh, Coffeezilla's reporting on uh, the the Paul Logan Paul. So let's hope so. Remember Ether Rocks. Or was it Ethrox? I mean, oh, I got one. Rocks. I got one. Are those things still valuable? They I have were no high clue. Price. I should open my wallet right now. Yeah, seriously. Um, you know, one more thought on the on the NFT stuff, and I've always said this, and the people who so virulently hate the very idea of NFTs, to them, any defense at all just sounds like you're a shill and you're a sucker. But I I do believe that tokenization and specifically of NFTs, so non fungible tokens there are going to be use cases that become really important and become big business. And then, of course, the natural follow is like, well, what are they? It's like, well, look, right now, it's an experimental phase. There's you know, events that are token-gated where you literally have to show that you own the NFT in person, in line to get into the party. Cuban has talked about using them for sports. We know all these examples, right? There's like mortgage, the deed to your house. There's real estate, fractional real estate investing. Uh, medical records. We'll see. I don't know which of these is going to be the killer use case, but I do want to reiterate, I believe that there will be use cases beyond just art. And that's not to say that art itself isn't a good enough use case. You know, I appreciated that the art blocks guy told us uh, for a recent feature that, that our colleague Sander wrote that, you know, they don't care about utility. There's so many of these projects that falsely have tried to say, and here's the utility. And it's like, well, guess what? It sometimes might be okay if you say there isn't utility. It's just art. It's a digital art piece. So that also will continue. But I do believe that um, that they're going to continue to exist. Maybe we'll stop calling them NFTs because everyone just is so triggered. Yeah, I mean, Por- Porsche's NFT play wasn't as bad as Nat Geo's NFT play, which was not only a technical failure, but also... Uh, pissed off a lot of people that were already working for Nat Geo because they may not have chosen from their pool of existing photographers and instead chose to work with outside NFT artists who were already sort of in the space but hadn't really worked with Nat Geo before. And so there is like a sort of ongoing story there. 
I mean, we'll we'll see what happens, but I think a lot of people within Nat Geo who have an established relationship with them um, are are really taking them up and saying, "Hey, why why did you guys do this? And why did you delete the post?" And you know, they they have never replied to me or any of my <laughs> repeated requests for outreach. And and Snow Crash ultimately was supposed to be technically handling that, and they're also gone pretty silent to me as well. Mm. Yep. There's going to be good and bad. There's going to be obvious rugs and not so obvious until a year from now when it's clear that they did nothing with them rugs. Um, let's talk about Sam. It, it almost felt like we had a merciful couple weeks of not being focused on, on the FTX drama. And again, there is a, an actual trial date and it's not until October. I mean, I remember when I saw that, I was like, really that far away? Are we going to have to have a whole year of talking about it? But uh, the news, I feel like, when it comes to this saga, has turned from a flood into more like a steady drip. Uh, and there's a couple of things. Of course, there was the Substack. I think that was last week. But uh, Sam started a Substack, and the memes were terrific of just you know his lawyers being like, please, please step away from the computer. I mean, my goodness, it must be tough to be one of his advisors. Or maybe he has sent them all away. But people saying, please just stop publicly speaking. And yet he continues to do interviews, continues to invite people to his house under house arrest and keeps blogging. But let's talk about uh, some more financial news that came out. And that was the latest drop of the full and unredacted creditor list. And my goodness, right? I mean, Matthew, Netflix, Comcast, CVS, for some reason, not to mention all the crypto companies, Coinbase, Binance, Chainalysis, Yuga Labs, we were just talking about. I mean, what company isn't owed money from FTX? Uh, that's a that's a good question. It seems like they all are owed money from FTX. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not really sure what this means for these companies in terms of the extent of their exposure. It's it's really unfortunate that that FTX had so many creditors and so many huge companies on its list. And I mean, there there were a lot of people promoting FTX throughout its its runtime. I mean, there were a lot of influencers, a lot of YouTubers, a lot of people promoting it and doing affiliate things and running things through agencies to get promotions and striking six month deals. And so there was there was a, a strong strong effort there to besides the the obvious sports deals, there was a strong effort not only at like the corporate top level with the sports promotions, but also at the smaller level, at the influencer level, at the social media level to really just put FTX's name out there to everyone, including like the average Joe retail person who just watches YouTube for news. So FTX like really was everywhere, even though in the grand scheme of things, it's not as big as, you know, a Binance or a Coinbase. It really did put its name out there and did those huge marketing deals. And so I mean, retrospectively, I guess it's easy for us all to sort of look back and be like, wow, you know, not surprised. But it is kind of surprising to me to see that all these huge companies gave any money to them or were involved with them. I, I do want to say that it doesn't have to be money as well. Um, I think it could be also in, in kind if I'm wrong. So if like if we're saying like, oh, CVS, did they actually give money to FTX? Maybe not. They could have supplied their first aid kits for their corporate office. I have no clue. Right. Uh, but those could or be just heat arena. Exactly, exactly. So I think that a lot of companies were somehow related to them and they are probably owed money, but maybe not because of investment. Maybe it's because of in-kind transfers or some kind of, you know, 
marketing times, branding, you know, some simple product. I, I would want to get more into it because even with these creditors that were released, we got the names, but we don't know what they're owed or why right. they're owed it. And, and so I think once we start opening that up, then I think we're going to start re- reading the book a little more clearly. It's a wonderful time for um, reporters who love to comb through legal documents and financial disclosures because there is more to come. The overall uh, moral, yet again, I think there's a political angle here, and that is just a reminder that so many entities, people, figures were caught up in this web because they were just completely charmed, whether it was by Sam himself or by the company, mostly by Sam, I think. You know, the idea of, you know, this one's different. Uh, I feel like there were politicians who feel like, oh, you know, crypto is in some way sketchy and shady and I don't trust it. But here is someone different who, you know, met with me and took me out to lunch and has convinced me that um, crypto could become fully regulated and be more buttoned up. And we're going to work closely with this guy. I mean, from Maxine Waters to to others who who championed this company or at the very least, uh, you know, shook hands with Sam as, you know, this is the guy who's going to be our our man from crypto who's going to bridge the gap from crypto to D.C. Yikes. Right. I, I, I 100% agree. It seems like he put a lot of people in sticky situations politically, personally and professionally uh, because of the relationships that he did build. Uh, I, I think the interesting thing about this whole um, Sam Bankman free thing is not only that he's sitting at home. Um, oh, by the way, you guys heard that, you know, people are trying to break into his house. They ran down the barriers because yes. apparently his mom, mom and dad hired security for $10,000 a week to sit outside his house. And somebody drove, drove a car into that barrier got out and started yelling at the security guards trying to get the guy. And they said, the, they apparently yelled like, you're not going to be able to keep us out forever. I mean, remember, you know, we, we sometimes laugh about all the details here, but there are people who are livid over this exchange's collapse. As they, as they should be. Well, anyway, the guy's sitting at home in this multi-million dollar house and in his, in his parents' house, writing on Substack, tweeting, doing all these things. But I think the really interesting thing that's coming out besides, besides the fact that he's not in jail and locked up and just getting three squares a day and sitting on a concrete slab, uh, besides all of that, is he's saying that FTX US is solvent. He's insisting that FTX US is yeah, solvent. What do you make of that? It, and, and he well, hasn't I, been CEO for two months. I mean, he's been gone since November. So how can he just, it's like he's chosen that as the thing he'll keep saying. Meanwhile, even if it were the case, okay, so what? What does that have to do with anything? It doesn't change anything that happened. Right. I mean, even the ex-president of FTX US isn't sure if FTX US is solvent. And I feel like he would have a clearer <laughs> sense of FTX US's books than SBF, who clearly did not know what was going on. <laughs> Who the hell would give Brett Harrison $5 million for a new thing after this? All whole those FTX investors who invested, right? I mean, I mean, Brett seemed like a good guy. We both talked to him yep. for different pro- programs and shows. So I'm not saying anything, anything about Brett. I don't know how he's involved. I'm just saying like, until this is cleared up, would you give him millions of dollars? It I is mean, interesting, isn't it? I mean, it's just, hey, VCs have money and they need to, they need to give that money to companies, right? Like yeah. that's the job. It is funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the biggest thing about the FTX US solvency claims by Sam is like, to me, what matters is they were never separate. I said that even before FTX collapsed. I, I also love to say that. Sorry, Binance. I mean, all these companies that say, oh, well, that's, you know, our US arm and we're separate entities. How separate are they? Alameda was never separate. And when they filed for bankruptcy, it included FTX US. Okay. It was all the FTX empire filed for bankruptcy. So, he can say whatever he wants, but at this point, I don't know why anyone would have any motivation to believe any of it. My my take on that really quick is like, w- by discrediting him so much, are we not going to look at the things he says? And sometimes they could be true. And in yeah. this case, 
we have um, the, the new CEO, um, John J. Ray III. He, he's done multiple cases like this in companies and in, 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 uh, restructuring before, including Enron. What if, I mean, and this is a speculation, if we're not paying attention to it, what stops them from finding money, transferring it a different way, a different place and going, hey, I didn't find anything. And then after this is all done and said and closed up, he just goes to the Cayman Islands with $100, $100 million of crypto that he found in FTX.us somewhere that nobody knew about. I mean, I'm just saying, like, we shouldn't just, we should take it with, his, with Sam saying with a grain of salt, but we shouldn't dismiss it just because Sam's saying it. Yep, that's fair. I agree. He could certainly, there's always, there's, um, you know, just because someone lied in the past does not mean they can never tell the truth about any of the details ever again. That's exactly right. Um, one last thing I want to mention as we wrap, because we're talking about politics, it reminds me, and I know you hit this, uh, Matthew, on on the Daily episode today on Friday, but this Ted Cruz uh, story was was very interesting to me. Um, it was It was both funny, but also encouraging. I mean, and, and the reason I'm always interested in this is like the politicians who have come out as pro crypto have not been across the board on one party or the other. That's been true for years. And I just think that's interesting. There are Dems who are virulently anti crypto. There are young progressive Dems who are pro crypto. There are GOP people who love crypto and want to embrace it. And there are GOP people who are against it. And so, separately from whatever you think of Ted Cruz as a politician, if you like crypto and want crypto to grow and be embraced, you should like this recent news, funny though it is, that Ted Cruz is pushing for not DC, all of DC, specifically vendors in the Capitol, in, in the Capitol buildings to accept Bitcoin as payment. I mean, you give these guys the most powerful positions in the country to do some real good for people, to talk about our national security and the thing that Ted Cruz is advocating for instead of health care or, you know, our finance or our debt ceiling or, you know, all these different things that we talk about. He wants to get by. He wants to buy his knickknacks and his burgers at the vending machines uh, with Bitcoin. I, I think it's I think it's just a shame that he, that's even being talked about. I don't know. Kate, Thanks, what do you Ted. think of that, Kate? <laughs> well, first of all, Ted Cruz is weird because he was Canadian and now he's American and disowned Canada. That's a whole other conversation. Wait, wait, seriously? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. But but also, like, I hope he's referring to the Lightning Network because it takes a long time for a Bitcoin-based layer transaction to settle last time I checked. That's very true. It's still not for everyday payments, although haters like to say, I can't use it for my morning cup of coffee, so Bitcoin has failed. And it's like, no, you don't get it. Uh, Kate's right. I had no idea about this. He renounced his Canadian citizenship in 2013. He was born in Canada. He had to in order to be in U.S. political office. I don't think you can have dual citizenship. Fun fact. The Bitcoin candidate. Wow. Well, next time you're in D.C., uh, Matt, maybe you'll be able to buy your like crusty day old croissant from the cart um, in the Senate building with Bitcoin. And they'll probably give Ted Cruz an award for it because it's the only thing he ever got done in office. Anyway, that was the Week in Review. Good fun. I hope uh, I hope listeners enjoy this new format, which will be every other Saturday. I know it's fun for us. So, Kate, Matt, thanks so much. Thank you, sir. And uh, the listeners will all be back there uh, Monday morning to hear Matthew with the usual daily. Thanks, guys. GM. GM, y'all. That's our show today. Thanks for listening. GM is a Decrypt podcast co-hosted by Matthew Deemer. Me, Dan Roberts, Stacey Elliott, Stephen Graves, Andrew Hayward, and Kate Irwin, and produced by Zach Edelman. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you podcast. 
And as always, you can get more info on our website, including video with our interview guests. Head to decrypt.co. GM. GM.